Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hey, I hope you're ready for the Word of God. Today, we're going to talk about the calling of Ezekiel. Last time, we dealt with the calling of Jeremiah and how his calling was affected by how he viewed himself. And today, my objective is to motivate everyone, once you have that calling, to pay the price to be his witness. So we want to have this as the second part of last week's. Some questions to ask ourselves. Am I seeking God commensurate to my calling or in proportion to my calling? If you want God to use you, you have to spend time with God to release that gifting and calling. The second question to ask yourself is, do I have more fear of God in my life or more fear of men? Do I fear men more than God? If so, that will limit us. And so what we want to do is understand how knowing God is going to automatically release what God is calling us to do in this life. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we're not going to read the whole chapter because of the lack of time, but I would encourage you to read the whole first chapter. But we're going to skip until the um, chapter 1, verse 26. And it says, high above a throne that Ezekiel saw was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if he was full of fire. So he was actually having a vision of Jesus Christ. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant fire light or brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds, which stand for covenant. On a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. So that gives us a hint that it was either God the Father, who made that covenant with Noah, or God the Son. But whoever he's seeing is either God the Father or God the Son here. But as we look at this, we see he was having an experience or an encounter with God the same way Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 and the same way Ezekiel did and the same way that Jeremiah did in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. And then he says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell down and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me onto my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So we see that before God was able to use Ezekiel as his prophet, because again, this is the beginning of his calling, this was his commission, he had to experience who God was. He had a glimpse, the glory of the Lord. And I have found in my life, to the extent that I delight in God for God's sake, not for healing, not for money, not because I need something for the church, but to the extent that I delight and get my joy in the Lord, to that extent will he reveal himself to me. 
and to that extent will he automatically start using me. If all I focus on is my purpose, I'm missing God. If all I focus on is my finances or my needs, I'm not going to get the fullness of God. And so before God was able to use Ezekiel in a powerful way, he had to experience the glory of God. He had to experience the fullness of God. And uh, to the extent that you experience and encounter God, to that extent will you know God. And to the extent that you know God, can you make him known? And so every one of our destinies, every one of our future, every one of our callings, every one of our assignments is going to be limited based on the knowledge we have of God. It tells us in Hosea chapter 4 that a lack of knowledge of God causes destruction. So ignorance is never bliss when it comes to a lack of God's knowledge or God's word. And Jesus even said in the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, when he was praying to the Father, he said, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom they have sent. So the whole purpose of your salvation is not just so you can go to heaven, but it opens up the gates for you to get to spend time with God, to know God, to love God, to enjoy God. As it says in the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession, it says the chief end of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. This is what we were born for. So if we miss it on that, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a preacher, doesn't matter if you're a president. If you do not have as your chief aim in life to know God and enjoy God, you'll never fully fulfill the calling and destiny that God has placed in you. So that's why the first thing that Ezekiel had to encounter before he was ready to represent God was to encounter God himself. We need a revival of God in the church. We don't need a revival of faith or healing. We need a revival of God. Once we have a revival of God, all these other things will follow. It tells us in 2 Chronicles 7:14, if the church would seek God's face, God would heal the land anyway. Even more than praying for the elections, we need to have a church that goes vertically after God. And as we are a vertical church going after God, God releases his blessings. It's like a little boy or girl who sits on their daddy's lap and just says, Dad, I just want to sit on your lap. I just want to enjoy you. I just want to love you. I don't want anything from you. Dad, I just want to be with you. Imagine if every day you just said, Dad, I want to be with you. I want to sit on your lap. And the father just puts his arms around you and you're just enjoying each other. Well, I got news for you. That father, based on his own abilities, will bestow and lavish that child with gifts even if that child doesn't ask for it. Why? Because the incredible love that father has for that child and vice versa releases an impetus to pour out blessings and gifts. And that's how it is with our father. He desires people to worship him in spirit and in truth. That word desire is a strong word in the Greek. He earnestly longs for people to know him, to spend time with him and to worship him. And once we do that, Everything else comes easily because God will lavish us with his gifts because he could trust us. If we delight in the Lord, it says in Psalm 37:4, he will give us the desires of our heart. Why? Because he could trust our heart because our heart is in him, delighting in him and his will. 
And so Ezekiel had to have that encounter because how could we make God known if we don't know God ourselves? One of the biggest problems we have in the body of Christ today is we have preachers preaching who don't know God, who just went through seminary, who just memorize scriptures and memorize doctrines and memorize confessions. And uh, sometimes we, we even have these uh, preaching.com where you could actually get sermons online. Well, I don't want to be an echo. I want to be a voice. God has called us to spend time with him. God has called us to hear his voice. God has called us to know his will. God has called us to be a witness of something we've seen and heard. How could be his, we be his witness if we haven't even experienced anything, if we haven't seen or heard anything? And I don't mean you have to see something like an open vision or even have a dream, but your spiritual eyes can walk with God and have the Word of God illuminated in such a way that you're encountering, encountering God. You're, you're walking into the portals of, of God's Word. You're diving into His narrative and you're experiencing God by pouring into his word. I've never once fallen down by the power of God. I've never once had an open vision or a dream. I've never once had an angel visitation that I know of. I'm sure angels are always around me. However, I've encountered the deep things of God. I've already been to the other side and back by jumping into the portals of his word and by allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me and bring me through the word of God. And so uh, you don't have to have all these super spiritual mystical experiences. Just be faithful, seeking God, delighting in God, and he'll bring you into that place of intimacy with him. And so we see in verse 2, after he saw the glory of the Lord, God said to him, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Wow, stand up on your feet, meaning you have to be ready. You have to act like a man. You have to act like a woman of God. You have to be ready. We cannot make an excuse. We cannot say, oh, I'm too tired. We have to stand up, meaning be ready to move, be ready for action. God is not going to use people who are always making excuses, who are always blaming other people or blaming circumstances. It tells us in the book of Proverbs that the lazy man says, there's a lion outside, I can't work. There's always going to be problems. There's going to be COVID. There's going to be unrest. There's going to be politics. There's going to be lack of finance. There's going to be this, that, and the other thing. God says, keep quiet and just do what I say. Stand up. Get yourself ready. And then in verse 2, it says, after he stood up and God spoke to him, the Spirit came into him and raised him on his feet. So when we take that act of faith, like when Jesus said to someone, stand up and walk, if they would have said, I can't walk and stayed down, they wouldn't have been healed. But when they obeyed the word of the Lord, when they, in their natural power, stood up, then the Spirit came in and empowered them. And that's how it is with us. It's like power steering. When we turn the car on and go, then the power steering works. Can you try to turn a wheel when there is no power. My God, it's almost impossible. You have to have the strength of Hercules. But once you turn the car on and you go, the power is there to turn the wheel. So once we stand up, the Spirit comes in us. And then he said in verse 3, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. God gives us all the focus in our life. He shows us 
who our demographic is. He shows us who we're supposed to minister to. I'm not called to minister to the same people you are. Matter of fact, a person who is not a pastor has contact with more people who don't know the Lord than pastors. If you're in the marketplace, you're in the workplace, you're going to have people that you could reach that someone like myself could never reach. So you have to see your surroundings based on your assignment, based on who you're able to touch and influence. That is going to be who you're called to minister to. And he said, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been uh, rebellious against me. And then we see, when we look at this, that all of humankind has been rebellious. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those who are not committed to Christ, the spiritual fugitives in the kingdom of God. And so this could apply to all of us. Everybody who doesn't serve God is rebellious. So we're called to people that don't want to agree with us, essentially. And then he said, the people I am sending you to are obstinate and stubborn. And so Ezekiel was called to a backslidden nation as an exile, uh, as one of the priests that was brought into Babylon. Ezekiel was called to bring them back to the Father, bring them back to the faith. And so he said, I'm calling you to speak to them. Now look at this, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, and they will know that a prophet has been among them. And so as we understand this, God was telling Ezekiel, I'm not even guaranteeing you're going to be successful. I'm not guaranteeing you're going to bear much fruit in terms of outcomes and results that you could see with your eyes. I'm not even guaranteeing you're going to turn the nation back, but yet I'm calling you to do it anyway because I want your words to be a witness against them on the day of judgment, basically. And so God's main requirement of you and me is that we be faithful. We could never guarantee what kind of influence or outcomes we're going to have. I don't care how great your mission statement is, how great your vision statement is, how many strategies and tactics you have. Only God can make your plans work. Uh, only God could build a house, and those who labor, labor in vain if God isn't building the house. And so basically, he was telling Ezekiel ahead of time, you're called to preach, you're called to be my witness, you're called to... Uh, minister to these people, whether they agree with you, whether they will listen or not. Wow, this is deep. On the day of judgment, we will all be judged by how faithful we were to the calling we have. Verse 6, And son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say. Be terrified for they are a rebellious people. And so, very similar to the ministry of Isaiah, if you look at Isaiah chapter 6, God told him, basically, they're not going to listen to you. I'm going to harden their hearts. And uh, God said the same thing to Ezekiel, even though it was a different time frame. Ezekiel was somewhere in the uh, 5th century B.C., 
and Isaiah was around 745 BC. And then when we look at uh, what God said to Ezekiel, that you're going to speak to them, as I said already, you're going to be prophetic witness to them, whether they listen to you or not, meaning we're not responsible for people's responses to God's word. We're only responsible to share the word with them. And then he says, I'm going to put you before briars and thorns and scorpions. So briars and thorns are metaphors that stands for the curse of Adam. After Adam sinned, it says that there were thorns that would come up, come up amongst his work, come out of the ground. And then the scorpions referenced in Luke 10, and even scorpions similar to the snake, uh, it references basically demonic activity. So he was telling Ezekiel, when you go out to minister, you're not just dealing with people, you're dealing with briars and thorns, meaning it's going to be hardships, it's going to be financial hardships, it's going to be uh, issues with uh, provision, there's going to be issues with different things at times. But on top of that, you're going to be among scorpions. Well, we all know what that's like. We all know that there is a demonic power that rules over nations and over communities, and some communities have it worse than others. There's a lot of witchcraft right now being released, even in our cities, as we speak. And there's a rise of paganism and witchcraft and New Age like we've never seen before. And so what God said to Ezekiel, look, I'm warning you ahead of time, you're going to be in the midst of scorpions. That could have been physical, but I also believe it was talking about the demonic that were enjoying themselves with the rebelliousness of the sins of God's people. God says, do not give Satan a foothold in Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's verse 27. And so when people are rebellious, they give Satan a foothold, but we're called to go in and rescue them. So he's saying, don't be afraid of fallen humanity. Don't be afraid of all the thistles and thorns. Don't be afraid of all the demonic activity. I'm with you. and You're still going to have power, and they're going to know a prophet was in your midst. And then we see after he says in verse uh, 6, do not be afraid of them. You must speak words to them. Verse 7, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. So basically, God was now telling him, I want you to eat something. And we're going to see that that is the word of God. And so what he's saying here is, as you feed on my word, the world will not influence you. But if you don't feed on my word before you go out to minister, before you try to represent me in our day, in the workplace, in the church place, wherever it is, if we don't feed on the word of God, then, unfortunately, we're going to become like the world. There's so many people that are rebellious. There's so many people in the church that are mimicking culture, that are mimicking the group think of culture, that are talking like the world, that are calling themselves the same things the world calls them, celebrating the values of the world. And so what God is saying to Ezekiel, if you eat what I give you, then you will not be rebellious. And so if you eat what the world gives you, if you feed on the world, if you feed on the concepts 
If you feed on what the world celebrates, if you feed on what the world values, you're going to become like the world. But if you feed on the word, you will not be like the world. So he goes on to say to Ezekiel verse 9, Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. Wow. And so he had to eat that, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Son of man, eat what is before you. So God kept saying the same thing. Eat the scroll, which continues the emphasis on how important it is to get into the word. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. Wow, he has given us a whole Bible to eat. He's given us not only one scroll, he's given us the scrolls of the prophets, of the psalmists, of the New Testament, of the apostles. How much do we need before we begin feeding and eating in the Word? And to the extent that we eat this Word and consume this Word and it becomes part of our inner being, part of our life, because you are what you eat, both in the natural and spiritual, both in the psychological world, subconsciously what goes in affects your conscious life. And if we feed on the Word of God, my God, we'll become thinking, we'll become those who think like God, we will act like God, we will represent God. As He is, so shall we be in this world. So we need to take our free time and discretionary time, and instead of wasting it hours on social media and Netflix and other things, and playing games and video games, why don't we begin chewing on the Word? Why don't we begin meditating on the Word? Why don't we become like God by allowing God's Word to be part of our innermost being? And so to the extent that Ezekiel ate the Word, was he able to represent and speak the Word? To the extent that you eat and consume the Word, to that extent will you represent the Word to the world. And then again, God says, verse 3, Son of man, eat the scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. In other words, he doesn't want you just to have a small little entree. He doesn't want you just to have a little dessert. He wants you to overeat. He wants you to fill your stomach with it. And so it's not enough just to fill your stomach with plantains, with rice and beans, with steak and potato and French fries and all the other things that we like to eat. You could have a feast. You could have a Thanksgiving dinner every single day and fill your belly. Man, you should have a, a spiritual pot belly. You should be overweight in the Holy Ghost. You should feast on the Word of God until your belly is filled with the Word. To the extent that you do that, to the extent that you carve out time with His Word, to that extent will God use you powerfully. Wow. You say, well, I, I, I need to learn how to minister to my kids. How can you minister to your kids if you don't even know the Word of God? I need to be a better witness on my job. Well, how much time in the Word do you spend? How much time do you spend delighting in God, knowing God? How in the world are you supposed to minister to these people if you are just eating more of the things of the world than the things of God? So basically, God kept telling Ezekiel over and over again, eat my Word, eat my Word, eat my Word. And it says, I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Wow. Incredible. 
Psalm 19 says it's as sweeter than honey, than the honeycomb. It's to be more desired than silver and gold. Nothing you desire compares with wisdom, with the Word of God. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 3 and 4. And there's so much more we could say about the Word. Verse 4, he said, Now go, after he ate the Word, after his belly was filled, now go to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech, meaning it's not cross-cultural ministry. It's not like going to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It's not going to people who speak different languages, a strange speech. But you're going to my people. So he was called to the exiles in Israel. And, um, and so he was making it easier for him when it came to the cultural context. And then he says in verse 7, but... Wow, imagine if God told you to do something and ahead of time he told you people aren't going to listen to you anyway. He said, but the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you. Why? Because they are not willing to listen to God. Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me and whoever rejects your words reject my words. And if they reject my words, they don't reject me, but they reject the Father who sent me. Wow. Well, what about Ezekiel? Is he going to be discouraged? Because the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. God said this, and he'll say that to all of us. I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. In other words, as stubborn as they are, I'll make you even more stubborn. I'll make you all more focused. I'll make you more internally strong. I'll make you resilient. I'll give you the power of the Spirit and the energy to do what I called you to do, even if there's a lot of resistance. Wow, that's God's promise. He said, verse 9, I'll make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Sometimes I look at what people go through. I've looked at what I've gone through in the last 42 years uh, as a church minister, and it's hard to believe everything I've gone through, whether it's personal, family, ministry. Well, what keeps us going? God says, I am raising you up. I called you to do it. I will help you. I will aid you. My arm is not too short that it cannot save. He says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings as eagles. They will walk and not grow weary, run and not faint. Even though young men walk and grow weary and faint, those who wait on the Lord, doesn't matter how old you are, you spend that time with God and give him space to operate. You're going to be able to go through anything. And so he says, I'm making your forehead like the hardest stone. Wow, I need that, Lord. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. And then he said, go to your people in exile and speak to them. And then it says, verse 12, the Spirit of the Lord lifted me up and I heard behind me a loud rumbling. And then there was a move of the Spirit, the loud rumbling, and verse 15 is what I want to get to here. Wow. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv, near the Kabar River. There they were living, and I sat where they sat for seven days, deeply distressed. Basically, before he opened up his mouth, he had to sit where they sat. He had to observe their behavior. He had to see their idolatry, see their wickedness, 
understand what they were doing. Before we have a right to speak, we have to sit where people sit. We have to hear their story. We have to observe what's going on in their life. We can't just fly in and be the answer to people. We have to live in the community we're ministering in. I believe in incarnational ministry. I believe we're called to live amongst the people and dwell with the people that we're called to minister to. We have to hear this story. We have to listen before we speak. And that's what God was doing with Ezekiel. It's an important uh, missional principle here. He sat where they sat. And it was for seven days he just observed. And then in verse 17, these ominous words came forth. Wow. He said, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I speak to a wicked person and say, you shall surely die, and yet you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them. So in other words, they can hear the voice of God because they're spiritually dead. You can. And if you don't speak or dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die in their sin, but I'll hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die in their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Wow. Well, you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. Well, what did Paul say in Acts 20, verse 26 to 27, when he was meeting with the Ephesian elders? He said, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Yes, on the day of judgment, people's blood will be on our hands. The ones that God called us to minister to. This is not just some profession. This is not just some option. This has to do with eternity. This has to do with where people will live forever and ever. Some will be eternally separated from God, damned in their sin. And others will be experiencing God's bliss for eternity based on those who talk to us and those we talk to. I'll never forget the young man who ministered the gospel to me. I was about to leave a hotel. I was fed up with certain things that were going on. I was in a Christian conference. I was going there as a seeker to try to know if God was real. And uh, I was about to leave and God, and I just felt sit down in the lobby and I prayed and I sat down in the lobby. I had my bags. I was ready to take an Amtrak from Washington, D.C. home back to Brooklyn. And I waited for 20 minutes and I prayed. And I said, God, if this stuff is real, this born again stuff, please send somebody right now to talk to me. Because in those days they used the term born again. Now we say uh, salvation or we say born from above. We say we receive Christ. But in those days, everybody was saying born again. So I said, if this stuff is real, please send somebody to me right now. And I waited, had my watch on. I waited 20 minutes. Nobody came. So I just got up. I was obstinate, had my bags in my hand, about to walk out the door of the lobby of this hotel. And something inside me said, go back to where you are. And, and I took my bags. I didn't know God's voice, but I said, OK, I just feel I should go back. When I went back, before I sat down, a young man by the name of Michael Pieri. He looked like me. He was as tall as me. He had a little goatee. And he said to me, are you saved? I said, I, I don't know. 
He said, well, if you don't know, then you're not. Come with me. I said, where are we going? He said, I'm taking you out for dinner to show you the way of salvation. I said, who sent you? He said, God just told me to talk to you. He sent me to you. Can you imagine if that young man didn't obey that voice and I would have left and went on that Amtrak? Can you imagine he might have been fighting, you know, fear. He saw this guy with long hair, black leather jacket, walking like this and, and, and waiting in the lobby. He could have thought, well, this guy will punch me right in the face and possibly I would have done that if I was in a bad mood. He had to go through, work through all of that stuff, but he did. And I'm always thankful to him and hope that one day I'll meet him. Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't have preconceived notions of who you're supposed to speak to. If he didn't speak to me after God gave him that word and I died of my sins on the day of judgment, my blood would be on his hands. There are people you're supposed to speak to. There's people that you're assigned to. God is saying, I want you to be obedient and don't let fear stop you. In Acts chapter 9, we even see God speaking to Ananias and saying, there's a man seeing a vision, uh, go lay hands on him. And Ananias was scared. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy was persecuting the church and you're telling me to go there? Hey, the people you least expect who have a heart for God are out there. By their outward appearance, they look like they have it all together or they look tough and rough and mean or... They look like they're indifferent, but inside they may be crying out. I was crying out to God. It wasn't that I wasn't open to God. It was that I was wondering if Christianity was the truth. And I trusted God so much. I knew that if Christianity was true, that God would send someone to tell me. I already had a relationship with God, even though I wasn't saved. I had like a faith. I didn't have Christ in me, but I had a faith that all of us should understand and have because of nature, we should believe that there's a God. And in a sense, I had a relationship, not a full relationship of salvation. But I knew that if God was real, he would send somebody to me, and he did. And thank God, my blood is not on Michael Pieri's hands. I pray that nobody's blood is on my hands or your hands. I want us to pray and going along with last week's message of not making excuses the way Jeremiah did, letting God use you. Let's now experience and encounter God in a new way so that we will be obedient. So we will not be disobedient to the heavenly calling as Paul said in Acts chapter 26. Father, we pray that our friends and our family and our loved ones we hear the gospel through us. That fear would not dictate who we speak to. Pray that even those who don't know you that are hearing my voice today would come to know you. In Jesus' name, convict our hearts that we would go to everybody you send us. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a good time to give your life to him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and that's you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And right now, wherever you are, 
If you believe he died for your sins and rose from the dead, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, a sinner. Jesus, come in my life. I believe you died for me. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for being punished for my sins. Come in my life. Change me. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. I believe that you're alive, that you rose from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's not enough just to make a decision for Christ now. God wants you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to continue for this to be real. So please contact us. Let us know you prayed and asked Christ in your life, and we will certainly get in touch with you and help you know what to do from this point on. God bless you. I hope I see you in our Sunday service real soon. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0. 